time to have retreat time over New Year's. Um, it's a combination of the juxtaposition of the dark, of the season and the cold and the kind of the pressure to be pulled outwards, to spend time with family and celebrate and, and, and do all that stuff. And yet, you know, I don't know about for you, but for me, my instinct is just to be very quiet and to go inward and to just to touch what's essential and to let everything else kind of fall away. So to have a retreat time at this time is a a poignant opportunity to be able to do that, to touch what's essential and to let the other things fall away and to begin to pick up themes that are um, meaningful, significant, and and, um, let them work their way through our body and our hearts and our minds and and get a feeling of what they're like. So the the theme of the Brahma Viharas um, is an important theme. You know, with people who have done longer retreats, 10-day retreats, it's often the case that at the end of the 10-day retreat, you know, the last day, there's a a meditation on loving-kindness. And you know, for myself, in practicing meditation, it's really important that loving-kindness is at the beginning of the retreat, in the middle of the retreat, as well as at the end of the retreat. <laughs> you know, the, this attitude of, of bringing forth a heart of kindness, of being able to open up to things with kindness, is not um, just an add-on that we stick at the end of a, of a long process but it actually is important that it's the ground uh, from which we work. And so understanding what that is, you know, for many of us, it's, it's, it's okay to talk about it, but to actually get a feeling for it and to let it be something that's alive and real for us is another story. So loving kindness is one quality that's important to have a real clear foundation with, and so is compassion. And the four Brahma-Viharas move from kindness and compassion to joy and then equanimity. And so as we get a feeling for how these can each operate in our own systems, then we have a sense of a framework or ground. We can move into these qualities as we are relating to what's arising in our daily life. I wanted to talk a little bit tonight about the refuges and the precepts. And um, so, so again, so that we can help create a context in which we're working here together and see if there's any questions that arise around that. And then uh, formally take them. And then uh, we can have a, a period of walking meditation and a period of, of, of silence afterwards. Does that sound all right? You know, one of the features of a monastic retreat is that you have a monastic present. (laughs) 
And one of the characteristics of our life as monastics is, is that the refuges and the precepts is something that we use as a strong reference or frame of reference. And it's a very beautiful thing because with the with the three refuges what we're doing immediately is connecting ourselves to something that's quite a bit bigger than the immediacy of our own personal experience. So we come with our story, you know, our, the things that we've navigated, our story, the, the trials, the tribulations, the joys, the sorrows. It's about what's happened to me. And that's really natural, that our own experience is focused around what's been happening to me. And the immediacy of what's been happening to the people that I know who are directly connected to me. But when we take refuge in the Buddha, what we're doing is we're moving out of the me perspective into the knowing perspective. So rather than referencing in terms of me, my, I, what I own, what I feel, what I think, it's looking at it in terms of the knowing of things, the, the perceiving of things the witnessing of things, the waking up to things. And so the, the me-ness is then shifted into a knowingness or a beingness. And there's something very powerful that happens when we make that journey from my story or my personal kind of circumstance into being or knowing or witnessing or awakening to and then when we take refuge in the Dhamma, we're taking refuge in the, in the quality or the truth of the way things are. So it, it, it's often the case that the truth of the way things are is not the way we'd like it to be. And yet, it has its own truth. It is what's happening. It is what's happening right now. And so again, when we, we move into understanding Dhamma as a refuge we can begin to get some traction on this constant referencing as to what I want to be happening now and start to be able to wake up to, well, what is happening is what's happening, independent of whether I like it or not. And then when we begin to move into the whole refuge of of Sangha as a jewel, what we do is we touch into the strength, the power of the aspiration to awaken. So here we are as a small little community. You know, we haven't met each other formally yet. And there's ways in which we can get to know each other on a silent retreat, which has levels of intimacy remarkably deeper than when you're talking or relating intimately with people. Because it's it's in another level. It's not at the level of personality. It's not at the level of story. It's more at the level of... Um, process, shared aspiration, and deep meaning. So, you know, I, I don't want to set the stage that that is necessarily going to be how it is for you. But um, Sangha has a power in it. People meditating together has a potency to it. Aspiration to awaken is powerful. And when people come together with a shared aspiration to awaken, it's more than the sum of the individual parts. And what we can begin to tune into is, is, is that, you know, this journey has been happening long before we were born and is going to continue long after we die. And any human being who has endeavored to awaken since the time of the beginning of time has been part of this collective field of those who aspire to awaken. 
And as we touch the Sangha as a refuge, we touch that and begin to learn that that is actually something that we can relax into. And so as a result of that, we we create a context that's safe, that's uh, considerate, respectful, that allows us to do what we need to do, and yet at the same time when we can take care of our own individual needs so that we don't have to sacrifice our own individual needs for the group. But what happens is that we begin to start feeling what is the group need and how can I take care of my own needs in a way that supports the group. So taking refuge in the the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha then opens us up to this vast field of support which can really be something that can anchor us. It can be very... uh, soothing and nourishing, very supportive. And then when we take the precepts, um, again we start creating boundaries and frameworks and a set of clear um, behaviors about what's okay, what's not okay, so that we're all on the same page about you know how we can spend our time together this, these days. So the classical you know, interpretation of taking the precept to refrain from killing or taking the life of any living being is, is, uh, is about not engaging in any kind of harmful activity towards any living being. So, you know, we don't swap the mosquitoes or the flies or the spiders. You know, we pick them up and we put them outside. And uh, I don't know what else is going to be. Some of them we're going to want to stomp, but, you know, that's not the kind of thing that we're doing on the retreat. But as an internal reflection, the refraining from taking the life is the, is the willingness to stop harming. And, you know, there is no other precept that is more powerful than that precept to stop engaging in any kind of harmful behavior or thought pattern or activity whatsoever. And it's, it's sobering to wake up to the kind of patterns and habits that we have that are harmful. And a lot of the harm is directed inwardly. But there's no way that we can be harmless outwardly if we're being harmful inwardly. So we have to begin to wake up to this stuff and stop following those habits, those thought patterns, those beliefs. You know, that trash or humiliate or put ourselves down or belittle or undermine or devalue or slander, you know. And sometimes it goes on so, it's like wallpaper, it's not even noticed, you know. But we need to start noticing it and saying, no, no, this is completely not, it's not on. You know, this stuff is just not on. We can't believe this stuff or follow this stuff anymore. I've got to find some traction and stop. You know? And if the only thing that anyone did on this retreat was got a little bit more traction around this, it would be a magnificently productive and worthwhile retreat. You know? That's it. Just stop harming. And so harm then is then characterized in kind of different kinds of behavior. And then the second precept is to refrain from taking anything that's not given. So now and Paul have offered their beautiful home that they've built so that it can be a retreat space. 
and they're preparing food for us, we don't need to go raid the refrigerator. (laughs) (laughs) You know how people have got their own private stashes, you know, of stuff, you know, we don't need to look. It's not our business what anyone else has got, you know. We've got an allowance if people have medical needs for eating, and so in that case you have specific permission to raid the refrigerator. But aside from that, you know, the refrigerator's not on. That's off limits, yeah. So it has to do about just leaving things to be that are not offered. So candles are offered, and incense is offered, and soap in the bathroom is offered, you know. We're welcome to use that, but everybody else's stuff we can leave, and then we can just relax. You don't need to worry. It's quite okay. You know, it's all right. It's safe. As an internal reflection, you know, the refraining from taking what is not given has to do with this mind which is incessantly asking for things to be otherwise. You know, if only I had more energy, if only my knees would stop hurting, if only my body felt better, if only I had a bright mind, a quiet mind, a relaxed mind, an unquantumous mind, a loving mind. I mean, the list is endless. You know? And that's also part of like this kind of whole mindset of asking for what's not given. What's offered is what's here. That's what's offered. And then our job is to work with it in a way which is skillful. That's our work. Not to demand that it be otherwise. And the third precept is to refrain from any kind of sexual behavior. And again, this is an important precept, particularly on a retreat where it's just really helpful to be just real clear that this is not activity that we engage in in terms of just very, very simple that way. And what that simplicity does is it creates a framework where we can feel what it feels like to be human and what it feels like to have sexual energy move through our bodies and how that operates and to learn how to relax with it without having to act on it. And one of the ironies about celibacy or the ironies of refraining from sexual activity is it can create a context for a tremendous amount of peace and a deep sense of ease and well-being and contentment that would not intuitively be what you would think. You know? So it's a rich practice, working with this energy and working with it in a way where the body becomes alive, is completely understood, the energies are known, and find some place of resting. And so, you know, again, there's a the the internal reflection of working with this is not so much to do only with sexuality, but it has to do with our whole relationship with the sense world. You know, and the way we move towards sensuality in order to distract ourselves from what's happening. Because what's happening is not what we want to be happening. I mean, the whole exploration of sexuality is rich, and just watching the way that energy operates and how it affects and all of the rest of that is... It's a learning. And it's a, it's a rich opportunity. So celibacy has nothing to do with disconnection or shameful or some kind of moral puritanical... It's not that. It's a it's a it's a it's a, a loving embracing, a fully loving and embracing of what is 
as a human body with sexuality and very clear boundaries about what we do and we don't do. The fourth precept about refraining from incorrect speech. Um, this is mostly going to be a silent retreat. We'll have some time for questions and we'll have some group discussions and I'd, I'd like to do some insight dialogue with you if that doesn't send shivers of horror up your spine. <laughs> I'll explain a little bit more when we get to that. Um, but mostly it will be a silent retreat. So silent retreat doesn't mean that we disconnect from each other. It means that we stop engaging verbally with each other. So we need to feel where each other is at and learn how to walk softly and quietly. And we have doors that have magnificent noise coefficients connected to them. So, you know, anybody going in and out of the door, you know, that's going to... Everybody in the whole place is going to hear it. So... You know, just take a little bit of care with that, particularly if the night owls like to come into the meditation hall one or two in the morning. You know, and do what night owls like to do best. So the speech has to do with, you know, in our normal activities, in our normal life, it's a lot to do with um, refraining from speech which is incorrect, which is harmful, which is untrue, which is divisive or slanderous or gossiping and uh, and the, and moving towards that which is true and timely and respectful and bringing people together and beneficial in terms of our own inner world you know it has to do with the way we're relating to thought and also how we're relating to other things so I would make a very very strong encouragement to turn cell phones off this is really an important time to just touch inwardly. We, that kind of stuff pulls you out in a way that's really hard to be um, present with the with what's going on. So the retreat space is supported by everyone um, practicing. And then, you know, we'll be having times for conversation and discussion and questions and answers and all of that. And then when that time finishes, we go back into silence. But the whole, the feeling tone is of quiet, of quiet, of of feeling with our bodies, you know, communicating with our bodies more than through languaging with our mouths. And just see what that feels like. See how that creates an opportunity to, what that does for our practice. The fifth precept has to do with drugs and drink, which cause confusion and carelessness and I mean, in our in a general life, it, I hope it's apparent that you know this mindfulness practice is difficult under the best of circumstances, and when we top it off with drugs, you know, we're 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 off balancing the equation so considerably to our disadvantage that it's very difficult to have um, much room for discernment left. So. I mean, that, it, it's not a thing about it. Um, it's just like what we're wanting to do is to stack the equation in our favor. So that's the reason why you know drinks and, and, and drugs are not useful. As an internal reflection, I mean, I don't know many of you very well, so I don't know your own personal psychology, but for me, I found ordinary life almost unendurable. I found it just so excruciatingly painful that I would try and squeeze bliss out of any opportunity I could. And even if I wasn't using drugs, 
I was a bliss junkie, you know. And I, I had a, it took a really, really, really long time to learn how to just allow attention to be with what is in my body. And so for me, the internal reflection of this wasn't so much around substance use as it was about mental use. You know, how I related to, to mind and pleasure and bliss. And it was very instructive for me. The six precepts has to do with refraining from eating after midday. And um, this precept is designed to support meditation. It's not designed to torture people. And as alms mendicants who live entirely on the food that is given, it's made so that we're easier to look after. So, you know, the food that I eat is food that's put in my hands or into my alms bowl. And so if I eat three times a day or four times a day or five times a day or eight times a day, every time I eat, it has to be offered to me. That's a lot of work. But if I eat less, then it's less work. And if I can manage to eat enough in two meals a day so that I have enough food for me, then the digestion thing finishes and the eating thing finishes and the smells and the cooking and the washing the pots and pan thing finishes and the rest of the day can be set aside for meditation. So that's what it's about. But people have different medical situations or metabolisms. And, you know, in the last retreat, we were on a retreat, and, you know, there was somebody on the retreat who was starving. And he was waking up at night starving because he was so hungry. That's not okay. That's not what this is about. Okay? So if it's not possible to eat enough food in two meals so that you're not starving and waking up at night hungry, then there's provisions for you to have some food, take some food from lunch and put it where the leftovers you can have some for dinner time. But because those of us who are keeping the precepts, it's, it's, it's a little bit uh, nice to be a bit discreet about it. The seventh precept has to do with um, beautification, uh, adornments, and entertainment. And um, part of that has to do with just wearing enough clothes so that our bodies are covered and we've got the cold weather on our hands, on our side, so that helps. And, uh, and then, again, how we use our attention. So, you know, um, if you brought, you know, a spy novel, it might be good to also leave that in the car. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that this is the book that we're reading now. You know, this is this is the one that we're learning to read. And it's not as if the suttas and the books that are available don't have enormous value in them. But it's not about learning it through concept. It's about learning about it through being present with. And again, it's just watching what happens with the attention and how we look for distractions, because we find being with what is difficult. So we need to learn to develop the capacity to be with what is and, and do it with kindness and do it with respectfulness, do it with patience. And then the eighth precept has to do with um, not lying on a higher luxury sleeping place. And, you know, Amy and Anne and I brought foam mattresses and we put them around on the floor. There ain't a high luxury sleeping place here, so we don't need to worry about that. But what that also has to do with is, is about the way we relate to sleep. And, you know, again, you know, some of you have traveled and are tired. It's been a long day. Some of you, you know, it might have been quite a process of compression to get here. And, 
and, and so it can be quite natural that, that there's a lot of exhaustion in the body, especially this time of year where it's cold and it's dark. So this precept is not about um, ignoring our physical needs. It's about learning how to come into right relationship with this whole area of our life. And so for many, you know, sleep ends up being kind of the, the, the drug of preference where, you know, when we've just, we just want to, we want out. So we curl underneath the blanket or the sleeping bag and, and head out. And so, you know, just gently to bring some sense of, well, what's our, what's our intention? Is it because we're exhausted or we're sick? Is it because we just want to escape? Or is it genuinely because we've had enough and we just need to rest? You know? So it's not that, you know, there's somebody who goes around with some kind of a book and, and records how many hours you sleep, but it's a question of coming into right relationship with this whole area of our life. And, you know, sometimes you need to sleep a lot. And sometimes the sleep is what one needs to be careful not to do a lot. So there isn't a right or a wrong way. What is right is, is that we, we know what our intention is and it's, it's actually appropriate for what's happening right now. Now, we're in an interesting circumstance. I've never been on a retreat in the West where there's not separate rooms for everybody, where, you know, people doubled up. So basically this is like extended dormitory, you know. <laughs> you know, we've got the men's dorm downstairs and the women's dorm upstairs, and everybody is kind of like split between just a couple rooms. So, you know, learning how to make space for each other. You know, some people are going to need to rest in the afternoon to be quiet, walking, and just take care. You know, it's important that people be able to rest. But anyway, those are the refuges and the precepts. Does that bring up any questions for anyone? It's okay, huh? Yeah? Well, let's do um, ten minutes of standing meditation. Take the refuges and the precepts formally and then sit together for a time. Sound okay? Yeah? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.